Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respect to elders past and present and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Welcome to The Gays Are Revolting, a dissection of social and cultural issues relevant to gay men. We put the G in LGBTQIA+, and we're here to help you be the best G you can be. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or join our community on Facebook by searching The Gays Are Revolting. And support the show and access our after shows and live streams at patreon.com slash gaysrevoltingpod. It's a new week in the workroom. I'm feeling fabulous. I'm ready for a new challenge. I'm feeling sexy, confident. Um, That's good. You're in Majora now, aren't you, Mikey? Yes, you I am in Mildura. Mildura. Am I saying Mildura? I've uh-huh. never actually been to Mildura. Can you just sort of talk a bit about what it's, it's like? right on the border of New South Wales and South Australia, pretty much. Um, it is a tiny, tiny town. So the place that we're in, it's just easy to say Mildura, but we're about a 20-minute drive away in a little town called Red Cliffs. And it's called that because there are red dirt cliffs, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, Story checks out. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's... a. It's a lovely, quiet little place. I think because there's not many people here, it just sort of feels like business as usual, which is mm. nice. Oh, true. Um, it's nice to just be somewhere where everything just sort of feels regular again. But yeah, where Josh and it's I It's nice here, to be able to sneeze on people and not feel like you're going to yeah, go Yeah, not get offended by it. No. <laughs> I'm coughing on everything. Yeah. <laughs> did, did, did you guys like... I know you're mm. in a couple and yeah. love that for you guys. <laughs> but did, wow, that's that I'm you. so... <laughs> You know, one of my favorite yeah. things in the world is when you go out to Mildura or when you mm. go out to Keith, for example, is yeah. you've got to hop on the grinder. You, you know, you have to sample the local delicacies. Have you, have you, <laughs> have you seen? Boys. No. Yeah, have we, you done any of the apps out, out on the border of South Australia? No, we haven't actually even spoken about that, like, to be really honest with you. I mean, it would be very interesting to see who's on it and see who's on the DL. But this is where Josh grew up. So we're staying at his parents' place at the moment. Cute. So he, he already knows all the homos that are here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom, are you enjoying the Harry Potter series? Are you still going with that? <laughs> oh, my gosh, I am. <laughs> um, I've never watched the Harry Potter movies, which is completely bizarre because I love yeah. camp British things, and that's basically all this is. <laughs> yeah, It's very fun to watch it with my boyfriend because he is British and he grew mm. up on the films and, and loves them and has watched them a million times. It's like when I was show someone Muriel's wedding <laughs> instead yeah. of actually watching the screen I sit there watching their face being You're like watching the other do you movies. like it do you get it do you want, do you want me to explain yeah. it do you want me to pause you and tell you little facts yeah. about this scene that's happening right now so he's loving yeah. loving watching it with someone for the first time well they definitely get better Tom so you have a lot to oh I'm, I'm like, people keep yeah. saying that they but get, I mean like, they progressively get better yeah have we ever talked about the fact that JK Rowling's a total Turf and swirl. So I've only just heard this. Is this is this, <laughs> is this true? Yeah. For anyone not yeah, aware, yeah, yeah. turf yeah, yeah. turf meaning uh, turf is a trans exclusionary radical feminist. So someone yes. that is a feminist who doesn't believe that trans women deserve. Oh, I think we have mentioned this on the show before. Yeah. I just I just think as a quit like as an LGBT podcast. Uh, sorry. So I haven't actually. I've literally heard this in the last couple of days. And I, I, having mm. never read or watched Harry Potter before, I wasn't entirely across it all. Is it legit? Is it verified? Is she? Yeah. Oh, what a yeah, shame. Yeah, it's, it's legit. It's legit. So, Am I still allowed to keep watching the films? 
Yeah, absolutely. Just okay, watch great. Well, I don't watch support her politics, but I'm enjoying the films. <laughs> uh, the other day, the other day, I uh, my partner had to work, so I and he doesn't really do drugs or whatever. So I thought I'm going to get really stoned and drink a whole lot of wine. So I was Love home that. alone, got stoned, drank all this wine, put a glass of water next to my bed, knowing that I'd need it. Heard the dog mm. drinking it in the night. Woke up in the morning and thought, you know what? I know the dog's been drinking from that glass of water, but I'm going to fucking drink it anyway. And I <laughs> oh did. my god, it's <laughs> rock bottom. Gross. I would trudge myself to the bathroom, uh, and, like drink. No, it wasn't. Anyway. It wasn't a. It wasn't an option, Mikey. I'm sorry. I had to. <laughs> it was drink the dog water or die. <laughs> oh my yeah, god. Fair <laughs> This oh. is a tangent, but I had a friend once who used to mouth feed a sick bird oh. from her own. <laughs> that's gross. Yeah, because it wouldn't eat, and yet that's the way baby birds eat. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's better than the other way around, I guess. Uh, <laughs> like, eating from a bird's mouth. No, thank you. <laughs> so she would chew it up, and then she would spit it into the little bird's mouth. Oh, God. Mm. I watched an incredible movie that I'm super mm. late to the party of. But have you guys seen Lion? No. Yeah. No. Oh my god! I'd never even heard Lion. about this movie. It's like based on a true story. Um, about how Brown Brothers, Mikey. You got to watch Lion. It's so good. I watched it with my mum because I was visiting mm. her because she's just immigrated back to Australia. How is she doing, by the way? She's good as well as she can be for living on her own and stuff. Yeah. So it is justified that I visit her because I'm providing care for her because she suffers yes. from anxiety and depression. So before anyone gets on my back, is allowed. <laughs> but yeah, we watched the movie Lying Together and we were basically just like holding each other sobbing <laughs> because it was so beautiful. Oh, but yeah, it's about how this little Indian boy gets lost I've from um, and then he yeah. gets adopted by like an Australian family and then it's his like, quest to go find his mom and his brother who he left Aww. behind but it's really beautiful so that's watch it nice. if you Aww, need something, something to watch I, I um, also very late to the party but just watched um, Boy for the first time have you all seen that? Oh, I love him. Mm, yeah. What Taika yeah, Waititi, beautiful. one of his first films. Absolutely stunning. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. As you would expect from a Taika Waititi film. Beautiful uh, Maori story set in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's on SBS On Demand. And I don't think enough people go on SBS On Demand. There's so much amazing stuff on there. I love it's it. Completely it's free. So I highly recommend checking mm-hmm. that out. Yeah. Um, actually, speaking of stuff to watch, um, just want to do a little plug for something. Is that okay? And it's not anything I'm in, which is <laughs> rare. a little plug? Just oh, only because you never do it. Um, <laughs> Equality Australia doing a queer love-in on Sunday uh, online, which is hosted by Tom Ballard, and it's a whole lot of queer artists that have lost work for, uh, due to COVID-19. Um, and a really incredible, beautiful, diverse lineup of, of queer artists performing nice. online. So go and check it out. Speaking of drag, um, this week's after show will actually be rounding up some of the latest drag race tea. Yes, we so will. should jump onto our Patreon for that. All that freak fracking about, <laughs> we will be <laughs> So get so ready. So we didn't even mention we have some incredible guests for this very episode. Yeah, yeah it is very exciting. We've got uh, John D'Amico, who's the mayor of West Hollywood, the actual current mayor of West Hollywood. Um, yeah. He was one of the first elected people in the US to be diagnosed with COVID-19. Also, wow. obviously, the mayor of an incredibly queer, area um, and also interesting to hear his perspective as a person living with HIV how how that sort of affects his take on COVID-19 yeah. and then Mikey and I got to chat to Jack Freestone from Akon yeah. they're in New South Wales and we chat about drug and alcohol use um, mm. during the pandemic I wear a very yeah. nice hat for this interview Yes, <laughs> visually hat. you can't see it <laughs> but this interview features a very nice hat yeah. and um, some really great tips and, mm-hmm. and you know, I think it was a... It was a good chat, yeah. It was Love a it. good chat. Now, to speak to us about what it's like to actually contract COVID-19, we're joined by John D'Amico, uh, Mayor of West Hollywood, all the way from LA where he lives with his husband, Keith. John, thanks so much for giving up your time uh, to join us down under. Thank, thank you for inviting me. And um, if I can start with a correction, I'm joining oh. you from West Hollywood, not from Los Angeles. Well, thank you for joining <laughs> us all the way from West Hollywood. <laughs> all the way from Hollywood. Can you tell us a bit about the city you preside over and especially its close ties to the queer community? Uh, Sure. So West Hollywood is uh, 1.9 square miles, which is uh, quite small, uh, but it is jam-packed with residents. It has about 20,000 residents per square mile, as well as this extraordinary history of uh, inventing not just the queer community uh, in the 20th century and beyond, but really rock and roll. We invented uh, movies. We invented recordings. We were sort of the center of the art world in the 1960s in Los Angeles. 
um, so much of the kind of regular culture you think about uh, was invented right here in West Hollywood and then exported to other places around the globe. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that is uh, continues to be most remarkable about West Hollywood is the extraordinary difference that's contained in this really small 1.9 square miles. We have the infamous Sunset Strip where, um, you know, everyone from the Go-Go's to the Doors uh, to the Headbangers, they they were all born there as well as well before that in the 1940s and 50s with the Rat Pack inventing Hollywood chic. That happened on the Sunset Strip and two blocks away on Santa Monica Boulevard uh, was always the center of um, gay life here in Southern California. Um, Mm. Way back into uh, the 1960s, uh, go-go dancing was invented in a gay club in West Hollywood. And two blocks from that was uh, Melrose and uh, the design district where sort of the very beginnings in the 1950s of interior design sort of coming out of the closet, as it were, um, started right in West Hollywood with some of our design showrooms and uh, getting those ideas onto television which, by the way, West Hollywood had the very first movie studio in Southern California. And so all of those things, as well as being outside of the purview of the Los Angeles Police Department, meant that West Hollywood was always a place of outsiders. Mm. Um, Mm. It's where gay people felt safe because the Los Angeles Police Department wasn't hauling them downtown for lewd behavior. It's where uh, when the United States had prohibition, there were lots of speakeasies and underground alcohol and gambling clubs in West Hollywood. It's that kind of energy and that sort of uh, rebranding of what it means to be uh, uh, living in Southern California, what it means to be living authentically. All of that started and happened and really continues to happen right here in West Hollywood. And certainly there are and have been darker and more complicated moments, um, certainly in the time of AIDS and uh, the beginning yeah. of the AIDS crisis, you know, about 30 percent of our population over those 15 years, about 10,000 people died. Mm. And it was an extraordinary hit to our community, not just in people who fled, but in people who literally stayed but died in place. And I think you know, some of that stability returned in the late 90s. And in the last 15 years, West Hollywood has this has had this incredible renaissance up until really uh, the middle of March of this year, when I think the entire globe uh, was sort of knocked back on its heels. And uh, we're not sure where we're headed yet, but I have said this many times already, and I feel confident that West Hollywood will invent a way out of this for itself and I think that will be copied by cities uh, and people around mm. the globe. Absolutely. I mean, I, it's already proven to be such a resilient community over the years. I think that that's um, definitely something that um, I think the world is looking to. You know, so as, as someone that doesn't has never lived in the United States, it's fascinating to me that such a small geographical area of the States can produce so much of what we perceive from another country. As so much of the information that we get from the States does come from where you are, and that is from, you know, your, your rich history of, um, of arts and culture and community, I guess. Uh, now, you mentioned COVID there. One thing I'm keen to to note is that you were one of the first elected officials in the United States to go public with your COVID-19 test results. You you have had COVID-19. What symptoms did you have and how did you go about getting a test? So um, I had sort of a massive headache. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was a migraine. I've never had a headache like that. I've never had a migraine, but it was really intense. And then Um, I had a little bit of coughing, but then I started getting some fevers and those lasted uh, for a couple of days, called my doctor, actually texted my doctor and said, I think I have the flu, but there's so much craziness going on. I don't really want to come into your office unless you think I should. And then my doctor said, well, you should probably drive over here and stay in the parking lot, leave your lights on and we'll come and test you for COVID. And, you know, I agreed and I, I actually sort of didn't think it was possible given sort of how careful I had been in the previous mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Uh, but in fact, that's exactly what happened. And, and, and actually, by the time I got my test results, I was already feeling better, which I now in, you know, five weeks later realize 
was incredibly lucky and perhaps not that uh, irregular since many people have the virus and don't have any symptoms. But, you know, I'm HIV positive. I've been HIV positive since uh, 1988. Just imagining the sort of conflation of those two viruses and the complications that could have ensued, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have made it through that and uh, come out on the other side feeling uh, 100%. Wow. As someone who's living with HIV, how have you seen the COVID-19 experience compared to the experience of, of living with HIV? Are, are people drawing similarities in the way the gay community um, sort of reacted during the AIDS crisis to what's happening now? Well, I, I can only speak for myself, but I will say there is one way in which it's very much the same and one way in which it feels very different. And the, the way that it's the same is that there is, like there was with HIV, there is a, a fascination with how did you get it? You know, mm. that, that sort of idea that someone might be to blame for my predicament. And it took me um, until being infected with this virus to realize that I got it because I'm a human being and it's a disease that human beings get. The way that it's different is that though the AIDS epidemic, and we don't know, we don't know where the COVID epidemic will take us, but what I do remember about the AIDS epidemic is how slowly people got sick and died. And with the COVID epidemic, you know, we see people who are uh, announcing that they are not feeling well, and they're dead two weeks later. And with AIDS, uh, my experience was that people were sick for months and months and sometimes years and then died. And the, the other confounding thing is that, myself included, you know, I was HIV positive for many, many years before uh, a sort of, quote, cure arrived and picked me up and carried me forward, and also many tens of millions of people around the globe. Um, people who become positive for COVID, you know, they are pretty much through their disease progression within two to six weeks. So they don't have um, really any time to spare. There's either a cure or there's not, and people are either living or they're not. And, and I think in some way that is a bigger shock to the system and to the sort of global idea of how, how devastating this pandemic can be and is. Uh, John, a lot of the news that we're seeing in Australia from the states is about people protesting against the stay-at-home orders in in different areas. Um, Obviously, it's a huge country with a a vastly varying population politically, socioeconomically, and and all sorts of ways. How are the people in West Hollywood responding to the stay-at-home orders? Quite, Quite well. I think we have not seen those demonstrations in West Hollywood. This might be in that category of ways in which this epidemic is similar to the HIV epidemic is that uh, people trust uh, government and medical professionals and science to be telling them what to do in the face of a deadly epidemic. Country folks in the southern part of the U.S., Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have a lot of experience with government and education and medical advice, uh, especially around an epidemic. So mm-hmm. I think in West Hollywood, you know, our, our population is fairly well educated, pretty well connected to um, how the world works and engaged in community making and community building. And so uh, the fact that we have asked our residents to shelter at home, it's safer at home, uh, we have found that that's the case. We also do see a lot of people out on the street, not congregating, but uh, using our public streets to go for a walk, take their dogs for a walk, Mm -hmm. uh, bicycle, etc. So they kind of found a new way to be in their lives, but uh, it's not through protest and it's not through ignoring our request that they keep some sort of social distance and they take care of themselves and others. And, and obviously, uh, a huge part of that is part of your responsibility, really, is to lead by example and to share information and that sort of thing. Um, I also know that uh, mental health has always been a big priority for you. And uh, I have seen some of your posts during the, the epidemic, um, making sure that checking in on people's mental health and that sort of thing. But I'm keen to know, have your duties as mayor changed at all since the crisis started? They have. I think it's become a much more serious place. And 
I sometimes joke and say that our footprint is uh, larger than our um, our pump, you know, in which we we sort of we sort of affect and and talk to far more people than live in just West Hollywood. And so, with this uh, COVID epidemic, like with the HIV epidemic, um, with other social uh, socially relevant issues. We're trying to lead by example. And so all of us are very much engaged in, you know, not the everyday, day-to-day, what's going on in our city, but very much engaged in uh, making sure that we're leading by example, that all of us are wearing masks in public, that all of us are Mm -hmm. having a presence in the community that is about taking care that this epidemic does not uh, rage out of control not just in our city, but in in the region, or maybe even larger than the region. For example, this radio show, if we have that opportunity. And yeah. So nearly forty percent of people in West Hollywood identify as LGBTQIA plus. What do you find queer people want from the area? Well, I think if they're anything like me, they know that um, not only are we interested in their authentic lives, we want to see them. You know, we want to see. Uh, real queer people living their queer lives, not just, uh, you know, doing the highfalutin things like inventing the culture, but just walking down the street, holding hands or, you know, expressing their gender expression, Uh, just really proving our point that our interest in their full embodiment of of their lives is what we want to see and is what we expect. And so one of the one of the facts about West Hollywood that is often surprises people is that 70% of the residents of West Hollywood were born outside of California. Mm-hmm. And so people moved to this city on purpose. And many of us believe that's the reason. Not because they won't they're necessarily LGBT, but they know that whatever it is they want to do. However it is they want yeah, to be, they're safe. they can live right here and their neighbor is going to love them and they're going to love their neighbor. Even if, you know, they don't have that much in common, they're going to really understand that uh, that's why they're here. That's why they're in West Hollywood. Great. Yeah. Oh, what an amazing, yeah, that's a really, yeah, fantastic way of looking <laughs> at it. That's beautiful. Um, now, John, before we let you go, I'm really keen to know, uh, what do you, how do you think Trump's uh, faring in the in his COVID response? And do you think it's it's been a help or a hindrance to his uh, re-election chances in November? You know, that knucklehead <laughs> does not deserve uh, one more day in that office. No. And uh, many of us are doing all we can to uh, make sure that not only is this the last time he's in that office, but this is the last time anyone like him is in that office, mm. Uh, mm. certainly in our lifetimes. I may not be the best city council member that's ever earned a seat on our city council or been the best mayor that's ever earned a seat, but the kind of havoc and ruin that he has brought to America is just unforgivable. Mm. I don't wish bad on him. I just wish he were not um, ruining the country that I love. Yeah, And mm. um, it's, it's incredibly painful to watch it happen, especially since mm. I have the smallest amount of insight about how government can be responsible, how government can actually help people, how government mm. can train and focus its abilities on making people's lives better. And it just seems that every single move of uh, this president and his administration is in a direction opposite that. And it's not that I have the sense that like 52% of the population is getting it better because they're not, Mm. you know, you're Mm. either getting the horrible side or the more horrible side. The, the 1% of people in America who are making out under this president I'm not even sure that they're making out anymore. Yeah, it's it's as from an outsider's perspective, and I don't know if you'd agree, John. But one of the most bizarre things to watch is that the the very people that he seems to be disadvantaging the most seem to be some of his biggest supporters. And I think that's because of his incredibly manipulative language and very convincing way of talking. That he has actually tricked mm. a lot of these people into thinking that he's he's on their side and he's helping them, when really it seems to be the exact opposite. Well. Yeah, I don't know if people are tricked or if I think it was President Johnson who said you can pick the pocket 
of a white man if you can convince him he's better than a black man. Uh, right. And yeah. I think that that's, that's really what's at work here. Is mm. that yeah. this sort of xenophobia and nativism and white supremacy is, you know, convincing this, in my mind, sort of sad and maladjusted population of Americans who think the way out is by trampling on others versus the kind of America that many of us believe is really the better idea, which is that together we have so much more power to make it better for everyone. And, mm. you know, mm. that's, that's a, you know, capital D democratic idea for me. And some people think it's not attainable. But for me, I just think that people are really good at, at the bottom of all of it. And if we can convince them to draw on that, uh, then we can make those kinds of things happen. The way well, yeah, that, let's let's hope that happens in November. <laughs> I certainly am trying, as I know many, many, many people across the U.S. are. And, uh, All our fingers and toes are crossed for you. Yeah. We can check in November 5th if you'd like. Yeah. Thanks, John, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I might sneak in one yeah, cheeky you. little question to end on a lighter note. Uh, sure. what's, it, <laughs> what's it like being called the hottest mayor ever, according to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? <laughs> <laughs> Well, what other choice do I have? (laughs) (laughs) But I do, I do, I do want to say on another note, um, you know, West Hollywood is a destination for lots of Australians. Yeah. LGBT mm. and, and not. And uh, we love that about uh, the past. And we hope that uh, once we're through this crisis, it will remain true uh, in the future because, um, you know, we, we love when people come and visit. And yeah. it was my hope that during my time as mayor or shortly after I would be heading to Australia. So, mm-hmm. you know, because I've met so many great Australians who have been here mm. uh, on vacation. Well, I think once this is all over, we're all going to be very yeah. desperate for a holiday. So I'm That's sure right, right. We'll popping over to see you as soon as we can. The biggest travel six months in the history of travel. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks to all of you. Have a nice evening or morning, I guess. <laughs> yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool. So I'm really excited about um, tonight's episode because we have some some more amazing guests. And mm-hmm. tonight we're joined by Jack. Um, he's a manager of alcohol and drug services and mental health at ACON, a queer health organization based in New South Wales. So thank you for joining us tonight, Jack. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. These are all a few of our favorite things, I think. Yes. Health, <laughs> alcohol, and drugs. drugs you, you know, it's sort of a theme on our show. So, yeah. uh, now, firstly, Jack, for people who use substances, do we know whether triggers and cravings are stronger during times of intense stress, like the current COVID situation? Yeah, it's a good good question. I think we need to acknowledge that everyone's response to stressful events that are taking a place that are taking place right now are really individual mm. and people's circumstances are really individual too. But generally speaking, I think it's well acknowledged that stressful life events and stressful circumstances can on the whole make people more prone to kind of want to alleviate their symptoms of stress through the use of drugs and alcohol. Of course, I like. I want to kind of caveat that by recognizing that not all substance use is necessarily stress-related either. A lot yeah, of people yeah. report using, you know, alcohol or other drugs for the experience of enhancement of pleasure or for the purposes of socializing and connecting with their peer groups. 
I suppose looking at the current COVID situation and the situation with social distancing, we don't really yet know whether or not mm. current stressful events will result or have resulted in moral alcohol or drug use among sexuality and gender diverse communities. That said, I think we do know that some people in our communities use alcohol and other drugs to alleviate uncomfortable experiences and to self-medicate and deal with experiences of stress and also experiences of boredom. Mm. We also know that when people are managing alcohol or other drug use in their lives, routines can be really important. Um, Say, for example, if before COVID-19 and before social distancing, you had a job and you had to show up to that job in person every day at Mm. a certain time and and you found that the accountability of having to be physically present at work or even to attend work and perform well at work helped you manage your substance use, then the lack of that accountability if you, say, lost your job um, in recent times or if you don't physically have to go into work anymore could put some pressure on you or put you in a bit of a challenging situation. And so much of what helps us stay well um, mm. you know, mentally and physically and just our general sense of well-being, I think, comes from that experience of connection with our loved ones and that experience of connection with our peer group and I think it's totally understandable if if people are experiencing more cravings or triggers at this difficult time yeah it definitely makes sense and yeah even personally for myself I have certain coping mechanisms and strategies that in the current climate I no longer have access to so yeah Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess my advice in general would just be be kind to yourself and recognize that we're experiencing something pretty major right now. And if you are upset or distressed, or if you're feeling like more cravings or triggers around use, then that's pretty normal. Um, And it's good that you're aware of that, because then you can start putting some strategies in place about how you respond to and deal with that. I feel a little bit like our next question is actually reading me for filth a little bit, <laughs> but I, I, I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, it, it's probably not a surprise, and we've talked about it on the show in the past, that drug yeah. and alcohol use is quite common within the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm. But there is often, and I share this viewpoint, and I am cognizant that it's dumb sometimes, that we can have this viewpoint that when this is an issue or it's harmful to my life, I'll stop. And and I've been the same way with substances in the past too. Do we even know that? Does that point exist when Mm. a habit or a substance becomes, quote unquote, harmful to you? You know, does that line even exist in reality? Look, I think it's a really good question and I think it acknowledges, yeah, that lots of people in our communities, as you recognise, use drugs and alcohol and it's it's my personal belief that not all drug and alcohol use in and of itself is always harmful and that we know that a lot of people in our communities can use drugs and alcohol and, and mm. don't report an experience of harm. Of course, though, as you acknowledge as well, when we're talking about drugs and alcohol, there is potential to experience harms. That's undeniable. And Mm. in terms of recognising when that use might be harmful, there are are a few different ways that someone can go about doing this. There's a bunch of kind of clinical scales or indicators that people can complete which provide an assessment of whether someone is experiencing harmful substance use and these these scales might measure things around how often someone's using or the amount that someone's using or they might question whether someone is reporting feelings of dependence on a particular substance so that feeling that they need a certain substance to get through their day-to-day lives and they would actively miss it if it wasn't there but I think those types of scales that I'm talking about to help when it comes to treatment services and and clinical settings and things like that they're really useful Mm. but I think a lot of the time when we're speaking with our friends or when we're working alongside community members around drug and alcohol use and we're trying to determine the impacts of drug and alcohol use or whether or not it's harmful, 
um, we're often looking to kind of tangible experiences in people's day-to-day -day lives. So looking to things like finances, you know, mm -hmm. are you able to pay your bills and pay your rent or is your substance use impacting your ability to yeah. do that? Or you might be looking at things like your relationships. Have your relationships been negatively impacted by your substance use or, you know, have you made decisions while you were high or while you were drunk that just don't sit so well with you, um, maybe when you're more sober? Yeah. Ultimately, these questions are, are helping people look at the impacts of, of substance use on their everyday lives and make an assessment mm. for themselves about whether the, you know, the pleasures or rewards that they personally associate with substance use on balance, whether they're worth it if we also consider the harms. So there's a few different ways of sort of determining um, yeah. harms. I really like that harmful. idea of putting something into like a more objective context. I think it works with mental health as well, you know, uh, is to look at the financial or something that you can't yeah. like dispute or something no. that isn't like... A hypothetical. I really like yeah. that idea when yeah. you're you're trying to measure these kind of things in terms of harm and and where you're at. Um, yeah, and I think that's another thing when we're reflecting on whether or not substance use has become harmful. I think it is a very personal reflection. I think that someone's only ever truly going to be motivated to address substance use or change any behaviors around it if mm. they personally believe that there is a negative impact, right? You yeah. can't, no one else can tell you just blanket that your substance no. use is harmful. I feel that it's something that you have to own for yourself. Mm. Now, Jack, one thing I wanted to know is um, what are sort of some of the basic ways sort of harmful alcohol and drug use can sort of start to affect someone's mental health? Yeah, so sometimes when, when people talk about the relationship between alcohol and other drug use and mental health. They mm. might refer to it like the chicken and the egg question, sort of yeah. which one came first. It's, it's that one's that, such a tricky question. Yeah, it's sort of that notion of it's not entirely clear if someone's alcohol or drug use has resulted in, in an experience of mental health distress or mm. if someone's concerns around mental health have exacerbated their drug and alcohol use. It's sort of a bi-directional or two-way relationship and I think that each can impact on the other one. Mm. I think that there's often a perception among people that substances and alcohol included can be can be effective to that end like it can facilitate a feeling of escape or it can enhance pleasure you know um, however problems start to arise with this approach if this is the only strategy that you have mm. to address symptoms of distress in your life and if you're routinely addressing symptoms of distress through drugs and alcohol in the long term I think your mental health is going to be impacted um, yeah mm. and I, I think that's where you know where counseling services can really help people understand their substance use and how how to drink or how to use drugs in less harmful ways or how to develop other skills to improve their mental health and to improve their relationships. So there's another common sort of interaction between alcohol and other drugs and mental health that you may be familiar with around come downs. Yeah. Um, if I say the word oh, come down, do you know what I'm oh, yeah. referring to? Yeah. <laughs> My old friend, come down. Welcome to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so it's like it's pretty common after a, a big experience of drinking i mean mm. drinking or using drugs i personally think that there can be a come down from drinking alcohol oh, um, absolutely yeah and or most often people might associate come downs with more stimulant drugs like mm. crystal methamphetamine or mdma so it's those days after you maybe have had a big session of of using drugs or alcohol and you might experience that kind of low mood or that irritability or that anxiety and it can be really really rough so I suppose that's a kind of an example of how alcohol and drugs sort of impact mental health in the short term. Mm. 
it's a real roller coaster. And, and oh, yeah. I would say I am a common person that seeks out like the temporary solution to a negative mm. emotion. Oh, that I has see, been my go to pattern yeah. for so, so, so many years. And instead, learning to be kind to yourself. Yeah. Let me be kind to me rather than a joint be kind to me or, you know, some yeah. sort of substance be kind to me. Um, yeah and and if we're talking about come downs and being kind to yourself i think a come down is a number one time to be kind to yourself preparing for it too i think if you know you know we don't we don't necessarily always plan uh use or you know no. when one thing might lead to another but if you know that you are going to have a big night set aside that time for recovery Stock that fridge, hydrate, yeah. rest, <laughs> yeah. sleep. And... Get that hydrolyte ready. Yes. <laughs> Yo, can I tell a real dumb story? I, yeah, go on. I was getting an Uber home real, mm. real late at night. It was one of those evenings. I'd, yeah. I'd seen a show. And this beautiful Uber driver, he actually like looked over at me attempted a conversation and then he reached into his pocket and he was like you're gonna need this in the morning and gave me like four sachets of the hydrolyte oh that's sweet just take care of yourself tomorrow <laughs> because because you're gonna need this baby yeah. what a lovely uber driver i, I hope you that. gave him a good review five stars i give five everyone stars. five stars I yeah. Don't, yeah but speaking of being at, at the 86 and getting <laughs> ubers and etc <laughs> Um, it's something we're not really doing right now because they're closed. And that's often a place where people take and find these substances, you know, or it's somewhere where people would go to, you know, turn the party for lack of a better term. Do you see this isolation as a silver lining or an opportunity for people to actually take that kind of step back from their substance use to say, I'm actually going to give a go of just quitting this altogether yeah i think that i think that for people who are only using drugs in the context of going out and partying then yeah i think this absolutely presents a really good opportunity and people probably will automatically be using less alcohol or other drugs if they're only using in those specific circumstances and maybe on a relatively infrequent basis but I think that there's also loads of people who use drugs and alcohol at home or who use drugs and alcohol in settings that are not necessarily nightclubs or party-based settings um, and who maybe use drugs and alcohol on a more frequent basis as well. But I also think that this kind of change, the new environments that we're adapting to now does present an opportunity for people to potentially renegotiate their relationship with alcohol or other drug use. I think that, you know, changes in environments and changes in routines can be really conducive to changing and sustaining new habits and behaviours. So absolutely, I think there's some potential mm. there for sure. Mm. I've completely stopped licking door handles. I've just stopped. <laughs> I've stopped doing it. It's amazing. It's amazing. I never thought I'm I glad would. You've but... stopped doing that. <laughs> Such restraint. <laughs> oh yeah. I guess if you if you are someone mm. if you are in that position of wanting to set some goals around your use at this time or just renegotiate your alcohol or drug use at this time. I reckon be really clear about what it is that you want to achieve. So is it that you want to stop using for a period of a few weeks or do mm-hmm. you just want to cut back and not use mm-hmm. on certain days of the week? Or maybe you just want to switch to light beer, for example, if we're talking about alcohol, kind of whatever your goal is, make sure it's something that you want to achieve, that it's really important to you, that it's specific and that it's achievable and that it will give you a sense of kind of accomplishment and confidence yeah. if you've been able to achieve it too. Um, last week in our after show, we were talking about um, sex parties that are happening on Zoom. Um, are we seeing sort of like drug use creep into the online world in that sort of way as well? Yeah, I think we're finding lots of new and creative ways mm. to use the internet during social distancing, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think drug use online was happening before COVID. Maybe it's happening more now. I'm, I'm not totally sure. But 
I think that sometimes in, in our communities, drug use online can be associated with sexualized drug use. So if yeah. people are maybe using drugs like crystal methamphetamine or GHB in a sexualized context and they're you know, not wanting to meet casual partners at the moment in lieu of advice about social distancing, then, yeah, mm. they might consider taking substance use online and then facilitating that sexual connection through kind of camming and things as mm-hmm. well. So I've heard that that's, that's absolutely going on right now, but whether it's happening more or less than it was before, I'm not entirely sure. Not sure. I think yeah. that, I think that using on online um, is a really good risk reduction strategy in terms of COVID-19, but there's, a bunch of things to be really mindful about if you're using drugs mm-hmm. alone. Typically, we don't advise that people use drugs alone because there's risks associated with if, if something goes wrong in that setting, then yeah. there's not necessarily anybody else there to kind of check up on you and make sure that you're, st- you're staying safe. So if you are using online, if you're by yourself while you're doing that, I think it's a really good idea to let a good friend know that you're doing that um, and also make sure that you agree with that friend how about how you're going to communicate throughout your session, check in with each other, agree if, if there's not been a response within a certain period of time that that friend might come and check on you or even call an ambulance yeah. or, you know, so putting in some, some safety measures like that's a really good idea. I'm taking, I'm furiously taking down notes for my next Zoom sex party, (laughs) you know, but, but it is true. Like being Mm. alone at the best of times is something that you should always have some awareness of. Mm. And, and, um, we do have like a side note before we wrap up, which is talking about a different type of drug. This one is a prescription drug. I've, talked to some people and seen people online talking about deciding that, hey, I'm just going to hop off of prep for a while because they're not sexually active and it's not really something that people are actively going out of their way to engage in at the moment. Are there any considerations that people should be aware of here when they're going cold turkey off of it for for isolation? Yeah, it's a good question. I think... um... You know, the, the great thing about PrEP is that you can stop it and you can start it. So when you start taking PrEP, you're not committed to taking PrEP mm-hmm. necessarily for every day for the rest of your life. That's kind of one of the advantages of the drug. Mm. And I think it's reasonable if, if you know that you're not having any casual sex right now and you, you don't want to waste your PrEP, um, you don't want to fill scripts to get new PrEP, I think that's a reasonable mm decision to take i think that there are some considerations if you are going to stop though and, and one of them is that while you might and it's recommended that the, at this time that, we, that you don't have casual sex and you might in, not intend to have casual sex that we can't always anticipate what's going to happen um, it can still so, happen girl it can <laughs> <yeah>. still <laughs> it can still happen and um you know, so if you do end up having casual sex, just being really mindful of what other risk reduction strategies mm-hmm. you might use in that instance. So whether that's a conversation about HIV and whether someone's um, HIV positive or HIV negative um, or using condoms, the discussion about whether if someone's HIV positive, if they're taking treatment. So just being mindful of those other risk reduction strategies that we use if we're not taking PrEP. And then in terms of stopping PrEP, there's slightly different guidance for different populations. So if you're a cisgendered man and you have sex with men, um, to stop using daily prep, you should keep taking prep once a day for two consecutive days after your last possible exposure to HIV. So mm-hmm. if you haven't had any sex in the last two days, you can stop using prep immediately. But um okay. If you're anybody else, so if you're a trans or gender diverse person or a cisgender woman or a heterosexual man, stopping PrEP is slightly different. So if you're going to stop using daily PrEP, you should keep taking PrEP once a day for 28 days after your most recent possible exposure to HIV. So after the most recent time you had sex. Okay. 
This has been so good. I feel like we should do yeah. some some slides up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you know like a link to you can download these because it's really useful and 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 important information. I love I'm, those. Too. I'm so download nerding out on the on the health promotion information with you guys. <laughs> no, yeah, and I keep no, derailing you into stories. But no, it's it's. I I really appreciate that sort of yeah information, and I know, uh, like personally, for conversations I've had and and the questions, Mikey, you might get them too on Instagram and stuff. Like people come to us to ask about prep. Like, oh yeah, for sure. You know, not all GPs out there are the most well versed in the procedures around taking and stopping and etc. So uh, thank you for sharing that that little yeah. bit there. So I work on, as part of my job at ACON, work on a website called pivotpoint.org.au and it has loads of information for queer communities about alcohol and other drugs and harm reduction. Um, so you should totally check it out. Thank you, Jack. For yeah, no thank you so much worries. for joining us tonight, Jack. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode, another guest-heavy episode, but I think two really mm. important voices, um, especially mm. with everything that's going on in the world at the moment. Um, so huge thank you to uh, John D'Amico and Jack Freestone for joining us today. Uh, and don't forget to tune into our after show where we will be diving into a bit of Drag Race this Season week. 12. Season 12 and Celebrity Drag Race. So if you want to hear our opinions on that, stick around or sign up to our Patreon. That would be lovely. Do you think people know when our episodes come out now if they don't know? Because like, I have no idea what day it is. So yeah, how do they know when it just blows together. I think that's actually out. how people are telling time. It's like, yeah. oh, they're using it's two days past a gay's revolting episode, you know? Or <laughs> well, like all the queer podcasts, like this one comes out on that yeah. day, so it's Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> we come out on Saturday, so it's this that's one. Asia's oh, right. on on Wednesday, so that <laughs> day. Yeah, the gays are keeping these this clock ticking. Anyway. Yep, keeping the calendar yeah. going. <laughs> anyway, on anyway. to the after show. We'll see you see all next you week. The after show. Bye. Bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.